0: Well, good morning. As we look to continue in the book of James, those of you who are familiar with the book of James, this might be the chapter you are either looking forward to or dreading, depending on who you are. But this is the one that stands out to a lot of people. It's, uh, on the tongue, which, uh, power of speech, the power of words, and the impact of that. And so this was rich for illustrations this week and I didn't have any trouble coming up with any. But last night uh, my parents were getting ready to leave town this morning and they had me over for dinner and they said, oh, we're going to miss it. So what's the sermon about tomorrow? And I said, oh, it's on taming the tongue. And then I noticed that our conversation really died down for the next 10 minutes or so. And I was like, don't worry, I've already got my sermon illustration. I'm not looking for one tonight. Um, but, you know, they They were like, oh, now that we're thinking about the tongue, maybe I should pull back, maybe turn off March Madness. It tempts us to use our tongues uh, in a way that uh, the, the passage speaks against. So anyway, we recognize the power of speech. And in speech, we can cause both great harm, but there's also immeasurable riches. And so finding that line in between them, is uh tricky we know when we've crossed it in a negative way a lot of times but the the power of the tongue goes anywhere from thoughtless comments uh that shame or humiliate other people how many people in the last week have maybe someone said something to them and they reacted a little too quickly and you thought you know if i'd taken 3 seconds i wouldn't have said that really that that few people are married that's uh, <laughs> Didn't get a response there. And uh, in marriage, that tends to happen a fair amount. Just the more time you have with someone, the more likely you are to misspeak. Uh, and basically, the more occasion you have for speech. But harmful speech is not all innocent uh, thoughts, uh, thoughtless comments, but it ranges from the thoughtless comments that can sometimes shame or humiliate other people, uh, all the way to outright gossip, slander, or bullying. In fact, the latest statistic on bullying is that 21% of kids in America ages 12 to 18 are the victims of some form of bullying. 21%. If you have five kids, one of them is being bullied. That's a high, high number. And that's the misuse of speech. Whether that's verbal abuse at school or whether it's cyberbullying over text or Twitter uh, it takes any number of forms, but those are all misuses of the tongue. But we're not just saying bad things about speech, as we'll see in the text today. There are also positive things to say. In fact, now I've got a quote-heavy sermon. So if you're a note-taker, don't try to write all these down. Just, you're going to run out of space, and I'm going to say them too quickly and too frequently. But if you're interested in the quotes, I can, you know, email them to you later. But uh, the first one is this, and this is a quote from Mother Teresa. She says it this way, kind words can be short and easy to speak, but their echoes are truly endless. And so they're short, easy to speak, they're easy to give, but they echo. So I don't know how many people have had somebody just kind of off the cuff say something unexpectedly kind to them and it's still with you five years later. And if, and if, if you've been on the receiving end of that, and then, you know, you, uh, one time I even went to someone and I said, you know, one time you really said this to me and it it's just stuck with me and I really appreciate it. And they're like, oh, I have no memory of that. But uh, I'm like, well, kind words are uh, echo endlessly. And then there's another quote, and this is from a, actually from a 20th century rabbi. He says it this way, speech has power. Words do not fade. What starts out as a sound ends in a deed. So what starts as a sound, what starts as your speech, ends in some kind of action. And so here's the problem when we look at our text today. James is going to lay it out pretty frankly for us. He says basically this. This is the whole sermon in a nutshell. If we could master our speech, if we could master our tongues, we would master our entire lives. We'd have the whole Christian life down if we could do that. But you can't do it. That's James' message for you this morning. If you could do this thing, all other things in your life would fall into place, but you can't. The end. No, I'm kidding. <clears throat> but what we will scratch the surface on, and I want you to be looking for it when we read it <clears throat> in just a moment, is this idea that our mouths sin, our speech is sinful. We hurt other people because our mouths speak from our heart. The only, Jesus says it this way, that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, if we have a problem with our mouth, our problem is really with our hearts. And the only remedy to the human heart is the love and grace of Jesus Christ. But here are, um, I'm just giving you the gambit here of, or it's not even the gambit. It's a sampling of the gambit of the Bible's teaching on words. And most of these come from the proverbs. Proverbs 10:19 <clears throat> says it this way. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 17:27 says this. <clears throat> he who restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Now here comes my favorite, this is my life verse. People ask me sometimes what it is. It's this. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. You want to know that If you don't know how to look intelligent, you're sitting in a meeting or something like that, you don't know how to look smart, sound smart, Bible's advice, shut up. <clears throat> God loves you enough to tell you you'll sound smarter if you just don't talk. And uh, now there's a... There's a play on that one that came around in the 19th century or so. People argue over who said it, but the quote was, uh, it's, it's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. So that one goes anywhere from people say it's Mark Twain to Abraham Lincoln. Anyway, even a fool who keeps the silence is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Then Proverbs twenty three twenty one twenty three says it this way, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. So you can stay completely out of trouble if you just keep your mouth and your tongue in check. And then Jesus says it like this, Matthew 12.37, for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. So just trying to get the scope of the Bible's teaching here. And with that, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. I'm going to read it to you. It'll be on the screens. It's in your pew Bibles. And before we read the Word of God, I'm going to open us in prayer. Father God, we thank you for the gift of wisdom that is given to us in uh, sometimes even what seems like a blunt fashion from the book of James. But we ask now for the wisdom to discern it that that you would give us the eyes and ears to hear what you are saying and that you would apply it to our lives and that we would go forth a little wiser than we entered we ask all this in the name of your son jesus amen james chapter 3 starting in verse 1 not many of you should become teachers my brothers for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness We bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. That was a reluctant thanks be to God for that one. <laughs> we're all being careful how to use our tongues now. But uh thanks be to God for the word even when it is challenging and difficult. And so we're just going to go through this kind of verse by verse and then we're going to talk about what it says and what to do about what it says, uh, which might be the real challenge. But I, uh the first sentence of the commentary I opened said this. It said, paradoxically... Every time a teacher rises to explain this verse, he invites judgment on himself. So thank you, Drew, for giving me this week, <laughs> allowing me to invite judgment on myself. Because it says right off the bat here, not many of you should presume, or should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. But, let me tell you something, this is actually not a verse or a passage about Uh, It's not a warning against becoming teachers. He's actually using teachers as a test case to talk about the problem of tongues. Now, the problem of the tongue goes all the way back to chapter 1. You remember the three tests of true religion, able to bridle the tongue, was in there. So now he's really getting into what that means, what that looks like. And the reason he's selected teachers here is that teachers specifically are susceptible for failure in speech because they spend so much time talking. No one here is surprised by that. If the tongue is as dangerous as James describes, then more talking is more opportunity to start a fire. So that's why teachers should be careful. He says, basically, therefore, if you can't control your tongue, minimize your risk and think carefully about being a teacher of God's word. Now, he's not saying that no one should teach. In fact, everyone in the Christian life at some point is teaching the word of God to someone, even if you're sitting by yourself, sit down and read scripture, you're taking on the role of teaching scripture, if only to yourself. And so we all do that, but the caution and warning is, be careful as you do that. When you start to speak uh, and instruct others, you're using the tongue, which is uh, a two-edged sword. And so in 3.2, as he continues It proves the point that teachers aren't especially evil, but they are especially exposed. More talking is more risk uh, of of starting a fire. And so James readily admits right there in verse 2, 4, we all stumble in many ways. He doesn't say people who are teachers are people who don't stumble. And he doesn't say if you don't ever stumble, then you should be a teacher. He says, no, we all stumble. There's no getting around that. And we all stumble in many ways. So the tongue is a universal struggle. It's so universal. And this is what he says in the next verse or in the same sentence or in the next sentence. Uh, and if anyone does not stumble what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So he says, this struggle is so universal that we all struggle with it. And if anyone ever got it down and was able to control their tongue, control their speech, control their mouth, then they would be the perfect person. They wouldn't have any problems but you can't do that. And he gives us these three analogies here. And these are these are interesting analogies. Sometimes the Bible uses analogies and we have to update them for the 21st century. Actually, all of these still hold, which is amazing. Um, two millennia later. So he uses uh, the bit, the rudder, and the flame. And the bit, now I learned a little something from our choir at first service. The bit is this little thing you put in the horse's mouth. How many of you have ridden a horse been near a horse, would be able to identify a horse out of a lineup? <laughs> Still no one back there. <laughs> um, okay, so the horse... No, I'm kidding. Um, the horse, we put this little bit in their mouth, which it's a swervy metal thing. And it actually rests on their tongue, ironically. And you uh, can yank it with a rope and you the horse's head is pulled. And where the horse's head is pulled, horses kind of only walk straight. So... If you pull a horse's head this way, they're going to walk that way. And so he's saying, this big, huge animal is guided and directed by this little piece of metal, this size. So he says, now you see where he's going with this, the tongue, the human tongue is the same way, how we speak, so we act. But he goes on. And actually, it's really interesting, the word there that he uses for uh, obey, if you were to translate that sentence a little differently. Uh the word it's hard to translate perfectly in English, but it's the word that means to persuade or to convince. So you put this bit in the horse's mouth and it persuades them to go that way. Now they don't have a lot of choice. But that's what he's saying is our tongue persuades our actions. Our tongue convinces, convicts, drives us in the direction that we're gonna go. And so if we speak, so we will act. But He goes on, he's like, you know, that's not enough analogy. Here's another one for you. How many of you have been on a boat at any point in time? Doesn't matter the size or the scale. Maybe you've seen a picture of a boat before. Okay, good. Getting some participation back there. I was like, if they haven't seen a horse, I know they've seen a a boat, hopefully. Um, But a boat, no matter the size, is steered. You know, they have a wheel, but the wheel nowadays is still tied to this rudder. That is a little flap in the back that just sets the direction. It still requires wind to move, but it says this little tiny rudder controls the direction of the entire boat. And so, in that, that, that word is to you know is to guide, to direct, to steer. So both it the tongue both persuades and convinces our actions, but it also guides, directs, and steers. And here's the thing about both of these analogies: neither of them are negative analogies. Now, it sounds like we're saying some negative things about the tongue, but these are actually, can be taken negatively or positively. It can be taken as a warning or it can be taken as advice. And the advice is this, guard your speech, internal and external, and you guard your actions. So if you guard your speech, you guard your actions, and the tongue is the key to self-mastery, which is what he's saying here. Now, I said guard your speech, both internal and external, because, now, if we wanted to, first of all, it's an issue of the heart. We're going to get to that. I've mentioned it. I'm going to mention it again. Jesus has mentioned it. We're going to quote him again. But we're going to get there. But it sounds like we're talking about the tongue. But if the tongue were the whole problem here, then the whole solution would be to cut out your tongue. Seriously, if Jesus said to me, uh, you will perfectly live the Christian life if you just never misspeak, if you never say anything wrong again. And be like, well, we'll just take vows of silence and never misspeak, right? That's really simple. That's the easiest. Well, on one hand, it's the easiest sermon application ever because it's just one action. You can do one time and then, bam, you're done with the whole rest of the Christian life. I'm now the perfect man, according to 3-2. Nothing else, but uh, 3-2. But here's the problem. Our speech is not just what comes out externally. Because Jesus says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so, even if you were to take a vow of silence, that would be a step in the right direction, but that doesn't quite get you there because, and, and this is the interesting thing, the tongue is compared to both a bit in a horse's mouth and a rudder on a ship. But in neither case, the, the bit does not control the direction of the horse and the rudder does not control the direction of the ship. The person riding the horse controls the bit. And the person steering the ship controls the rudder. And so he's saying, uh oh, that's the thing that moves you where you're going, but that's not what's in the driver's seat. So what is? It's our heart. Our heart guides our tongue and uh, our heart, as Jesus describes it in Matthew fifteen, nineteen, the human heart, out of it comes evil, murder adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. And out of that heart, the mouth speaks. And so even if we were able to stop ourselves from talking, which most of us can't do, we would still be guided by a heart which is bent uh, away from God. And so he says it's like this. It's just like playing with fire. A small misstep can lead to catastrophe. Now, how many of you did some kind of scouting when you were a kid? I'm raising my hand to show you that it's a hand raising, but I really didn't. I I built like one bird thing and no birds wanted to go live in it, so I gave up. But in that, I think when you go camping, they teach you how to do a campfire properly so that it doesn't spread because one little fire can burn down an entire forest. And James says, every time you open your mouth, you're starting a little fire like that. Whether it's contained or not is is partially up to you. And so he's saying, and the Bible in many times actually links this idea of gossip being like fire. It spreads like fire. And whether you have been on the front end of that or on the receiving end of gossip, you know that it spreads like a fire. It uh, just devours everything in its path and yet finds new things to destroy. And as we keep going here, verses... Um, So he says, so the tongue is small, member, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. And here's where he gets to it. Verses seven and eight. He says this, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but. No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So this is a pretty amazing thing that he's saying here, and we know this to be true. He's saying there is nothing on earth which humankind has not been able to domesticate. How many of you have an animal living in your house? A dog, a cat. That's not normal. Those things were out in nature, and then we just decided, you know what? We can bring these things under our dominion, And they can live in our house, sort of, sometimes. And, and so there, and there's a, one of my favorite TV shows back in the day was the Crocodile Hunter. That guy could bring any animal (laughs) under his dominion. Uh, Anything. He could wrestle a crocodile, he'd pick a snake up by the tail. And so he's just showing we can, we as human beings, and it's not just animals anymore, it's every aspect of nature. We've defied gravity with flight we 've you know split cells apart, we can split the atom. we can do all of these things we 've controlled everything in nature except our own tongues isn 't that amazing? Human beings have figured out how to control every element of creation, every element of this world, except ourselves and if we could do that we 'd be perfect, but we can 't sorry that 's james 's message to us. He says no person can tame the tongue and as a reminder when we're talking about taming the tongue what is it that's guiding what's steering the tongue the heart say it one more time what's steering the tongue the heart so when we say no one can tame the tongue no one can tame the heart good we see that syllogism that works very nicely and so we go finally in verses 9 through 12 it says with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Now, this is this is what's amazing: the tongue is inconsistent, even for a Christian. And, the, and when I say the tongue is inconsistent, we mean the human heart is inconsistent. Because we just sat in here, we all sang God's praises, we look at God's goodness, we sing about God's goodness, and as soon as we go out from here in our weeks, as soon as you say something bad about another person, that person is made in God's likeness. How can you sing about God's goodness and then go curse something in his likeness? How can you do it? Now this is the interesting thing, James doesn't even say, that's what you're doing, stop, stop, What he says is, how is that even possible? He said, that's like if you're in nature and you find a river or stream and you go follow it all the way to its source and that its source is this little spring coming out of the ground and every 30 seconds it changes between clean water and salt water. Anybody ever seen that? I'm not a hiker, but I've never seen that. That can't happen. There's no way that can happen. Yet, that is what we do. Out of our mouth comes both clean water and salt water both praise for god and cursing harming inflicting pain on people who are made in god's likeness and every person i'm not talking about how you treat talk to other christians every human being that has ever lived is made in the likeness of god that's in genesis one and two and so there is no way around that that we are inconsistent with our language uh we are inconsistent with our hearts and so here are the two points we want to make this morning. The first one is this. You really need to let this sink in. It's the importance of words. Now, I shouldn't have to really convince you of that because we all use words every day without even thinking about it. Someone asks a question, the words form in our brain, come out of our mouth, sometimes before we even think about what to say. But the importance of words, and here's why. I've got a quote for you, and I don't quote them very often, but this is from uh, C.S. Lewis. In his book, The Weight of Glory, he says it this way. There are no ordinary people. No such thing as an ordinary person. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, all those things are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals with whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. And so this is what he's saying. He's saying, there are only two paths you can be on in life. And every interaction you have with someone else pushes them closer to one of those paths. And he says, there are no mortals. Everyone is on this immortal trajectory. And every interaction you have with someone pushes them closer to one of those two paths. Now, that's the importance of words. You didn't think about that, that you're interacting with an immortal every time you say hi to someone, uh, in, in, immortal in a sense. Um, and then there's there's one more way to say it, and I think this is one of my favorite ones, and uh, I, I try to quote J.K. Rowling, you know, limited amount, but here's from one of my favorite characters from one of my favorite books. It says it this way, "'Words are, in my not-so-humble opinion, "'our most inexhaustible source of magic.'" capable of both inflicting injury and remedying it. So words are this inexhaustible source where we can inflict damage, but that's using only the tongue for negative, using it for positive. We can also use our tongue to remedy the injures, injuries done by others. And so our tongues, uh, we can push people in one of two directions, and we can inflict harm or we can remedy Harm. That is the power of the human tongue. And I'll remind you once again, this is uh, probably the most important verse you'll hear today is from Matthew twelve thirty three to 35. Jesus says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever is in your heart is what will come out of your mouth. So that's the importance of words. The second thing I'll remind you is this is the consequences of words. So they're important. And they have consequences. And there's a, a a preacher who puts it this way. He says this. Words are free. It's how you use them that may cost you. Words are free, but how you use them may end up costing you. But And Jesus says it like this, continuing in Matthew 12. He says, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Every careless word, you, you give an account for it. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. And so here's what James is saying today. To master the tongue is to master oneself, but no one can master the tongue. So why bother? Not quite. No one can master the tongue, so try harder? Not exactly. You understand where he's going with this? The passage is making the point about how important our speech is, how devastating it can be, and then it just ends. If I were to leave you today where James left us, it would be, can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. The end. Now, that's not the most inspirational message you would have heard, uh, you know, maybe even this morning. But uh, he continues, and I'm going to, borrow a little bit from next week's passage here because he says in james 4 6 through 10 which might even be on the screen it is but he gives more grace therefore it says god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble submit yourselves therefore to god resist the devil and he will flee from you Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And so here's James's ultimate prescription. It's threefold. It says, no one can tame the tongue, but here's what you do about it. One, be humble. Recognize. That in your speech, not only have you been hurt by other speech, but you have hurt others with your speech. And so you are part of the problem. You are culpable in this. You are responsible for the wickedness of the tongue. You have participated in it and will probably continue to participate in it. And so that is to keep you humble. You never get to a point in your life where you've perfectly mastered the tongue. James is very clear about that. But secondly, and this is the most important part, Is that we depend on God's grace. Because we recognize that we are always going to fall short of that sinner. We are always going to hurt and uh, continue to hurt other people, try as we might. He says this, submit yourselves to God, draw near to God. What he's saying is that your only hope in all of this is to recognize your own shortcomings and take them before God who is gracious, merciful, and just. God will forgive us our sins and uh, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And that's what he's suggesting right here. And so he's saying uh, you can't perfectly control the tongue because you can't perfectly contain the heart. But God, first of all, can do those things. And secondly, gives us the grace to improve. And so this is the third thing, is that we resolve to do better. Now, this doesn't mean we try harder harder. So this is the dangerous thing. When I tell you that we're trying to do better about taming the tongue, the goal is not to say, I'm going to tame the tongue so that I don't have to rely on God's grace anymore. That's not the goal. You, re, you resolve to do better because you, are, you know that the only reason you have a standing before God is because of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so out of our humility, recognizing that we're part of the problem and out of our knowledge that we, everything we say and do is now dependent on the grace of God. We resolve to do better out of our humility, out of our grace. And this is what he says. He says, cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. And so he's saying we're not, we can't just stay the way we are. We have to change, but we're not changing in order to make ourselves presentable to God. That ship has sailed, but We are presentable to God because of the work of Jesus Christ. And because of that, we recognize that we're made in the image of God and that everyone we interact with is. And now we have a responsibility to be conduits of God's grace and God's mercy to give to others as we have been given from God. I'm going to end here with one final quote for you. And this is from uh, George Herbert. He says this good words are worth much and cost little. Good words are worth much and cost little. And so with very little personal cost to you, you can do much good tomorrow, later today, this week, this coming week, but know that it will be inconsistent. No matter how much good you can accomplish with your words, you will still be dependent on God's grace and God's mercy. And so ultimately we can use our words for the good of others. And that's what he's saying. We don't cut out the tongue. We reappropriate The tongue and we use it for good but it's only after our hearts have been changed by jesus and even then we're still inconsistent so we recognize each person's value that we interact with and we tame our tongues out of a love for our neighbor because their value like ours comes from god would you please join me in prayer